All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, nears? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. Welcome. Yes, my voice is compromised. Uh, yes, I'm not happy about it. Yes, I am in New York City on a uh, press trip for, for Marin season four that starts Wednesday night, May 4th. The fourth season of my show on IFC starts this Wednesday, 9 p.m. I'm very excited about it. I know some of you are probably thinking like, all right, you know, you, your, your voice sounds shitty. Why, uh, why are you doing a show? Can't you just uh, throw in a greatest hit show or whatever? That's not what we do. That is not how Brendan and I have designed this show. We go, uh, we go no matter what. The show must go on. I am not thrilled about this. I'm fucking livid, to be honest with you. And I know when you get sick... You're supposed to relax, but it's very hard for me to relax when I'm sick because I'm fucking furious. I came to New York. I mean, I got literally got sick. I came on the morning that I got on the airplane to come here. And I rarely lose my voice this bad. I'm kind of fucking panicked, to be honest with you. I have to do Charlie Rose today. I have to do The Tonight Show tomorrow. And uh, if if my voice is too fucked to do either of those things, ugh. It's very hard, you know, sometimes in my mind to just accept that these things happen. They happen to everybody. Everybody's been in this situation. The timing may, may not be optimal for having a, uh, you know, a, a, not, a, a not deadly illness that could compromise a couple events. But uh, I can't help but take it personally. This is, yeah, I don't, I don't generally believe in some god or 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 higher being that that sort of that dictates the day-to-day for all of us but in moments where i think that i've been fucked or bad luck is upon me that's when i believe those are the moments that i believe in god is when like why the fuck is this happening oh i get it it's the god that i don't that i don't generally believe in coming down on me for not being something what what could I possibly be punished for? How bad of a person am I? I'm not fucking Donald Trump. I'm not fucking, you know, Ted Bundy. You know, why, why would get, and why would that be the punishment? You know what I'm going to do? I'm not, I'm not going to really hurt him. I'm just going to fuck up his week and a couple of pretty big opportunities for him just to remind him that, uh, that you know, sometimes he irritates me. No, the, the truth of the matter is, is that I got a fucking cold. A lot of people have gotten colds, and uh, it just so happens that I'm on a trip. I got Sarah with me, so I don't know who you are or what you do when you get sick uh, or what kind of baby you become, what kind of child you regress back to, but my default when it comes to being a child is usually the belligerent, stubborn, mean one. I don't know why I can't just become the whiny, needy, uh, uh, willing-to-accept-comfort one. That one just does not uh, doesn't have a voice within me. I'm, I imagine it's the same voice. It's just a different way to handle it, and the way I choose to handle it, the belligerent, stubborn, and mean way, uh, can sort of guarantee that whoever's uh, dealing with me has a hell of a challenge on their hands, and it could be a painful process. So, in other words, I'll be amazed if my relationship lasts through this week which uh, I return to L.A. on Wednesday. I'm saying that sarcastically, but uh, and I'm trying to manage this shit because now she got sick too. So now we're, we're basically, we come to New York 
And we've, we've done some fun things, but it's like we're both in, in some sort of, uh, you know, mild hospice over here. It's a, it's a small room, and uh, we're both sick, blowing our noses, spitting out gook. She hurt her foot. It's one of those memorable vacations, one of those ones where if you get through it, you'd be like, you remember that horrible trip to New York? Man, that was bad. I love you. I love you, too. Or uh, that, that trip to New York, that's, that tipped the scales. That was it. Neither one of us could deal with each other after that. So exciting. Where will this end? Where does this story take us? Huh? So, yeah, today on the show, I've got a it's, a, it's sort of a doubleheader. I've got Gary Marshall, uh, director of Many a Movie, uh, brother of Penny, creator of Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. TV giant, also an actor that you've seen on Louis' show, also one of my favorite comedy moments in the history of film. He's on the show. And in a couple of minutes, I do a little uh, short talk with uh, open Mike Eagle, Mike Eagle, hip-hop artist, rapper. He was really my... uh, I had him on the show years ago. Uh, I don't know when exactly it was now. And uh, he had mentioned me in one of his raps. And I am a sort of... uh, not ignorant, but you know, I only know mainstream rap. So Mike Eagle years ago came over and educated me on the world of uh, alt rap, basically. And uh, he recently had me on his podcast, and then he, uh, I knew he gave me his new record, which I enjoyed. So I thought, well, come on over, let's talk a little bit about the new record. What else do I need to tell you, huh? Oh, a couple of things. I did a movie a while back, and uh, it was called Frank and Cindy. The director, G.J. Ecternkamp, uh, is known for this weird kind of YouTube documentary he did about his mother, uh, who was married to a, a one-hit wonder bass player. Uh, and that's called Frankenstein. But then he did a fictional version called Frankenstein, and he wanted me to play his real father, not the stepfather played by Oliver Platt or the mother played brilliantly by Rene Russo, but the guy who lives out in the desert. And I did it. But then there was a year or so where I didn't know what happened in the movie. There were problems of some kind or another. And did it ever make it out? Who knows? But now I find out it's out on Netflix. And I watched it. I watched myself in a movie. And it was pretty good. I was pretty happy with me. And the movie's very cute. So if you're interested in that, um, you should go watch it. Frank and Cindy is available on Netflix. I've also been told that the uh, the Get a Job movie that uh, you know has been mentioned on this show by many people who were in it uh, as never possibly ever coming out uh, is out in places. You can rent it on most digital on-demand platforms. I have no idea how I did in that movie, but that's out. And I know it's sort of a a subtextual narrative to this show because I talked to you know Anna Kendrick and uh, Allison Brie and a lot of people that were in that movie. So now I hear it's out and available. I have no idea. Get back to me. Let me know how I did in that movie. Uh, and also, before I forget, I'd like to plug my upcoming Trippany shows. You can see those dates. It's going to be Tuesdays in May and June. You can go to wtfpod.com slash tour and uh, come down. It's a cheap ticket. Benefits the uh, theater. I usually have an opener with me. I believe the first night, uh, May 10th, Dean Del Rey is going to be there and, uh, you know, work through some stuff. Okay? Is that is that good? Are we good? <laughs> All right. So what, why don't we do this now? Why don't we, uh, obviously I can't manufacture that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the garage or not sick, but uh, uh, let's go now to my conversation with uh, with Mike Eagle, his new album, Hella Personal Film Festival. 
uh, is a collaboration between uh, Open Mike Eagle and Paul White. You can also hear his podcast, Secret Skin. I appeared on the last one that he's doing in this version. But this is me and uh, Mike Eagle. Mike Eagle, what happened? What 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 is it? What, what how the the thing I did with you go? Oh, uh, it went great. Uh, did you get any feedback? Tell tell me about me first. Um, it, everybody loves how vulnerable you were being, which is surprising to me because how else was anybody expecting you to be uh-huh i have no idea what yeah. people's expectations were. I go, well maybe they don't know me at all well that's yeah. i mean they listen to your show they're like oh this is that guy yeah that well, mike likes that we don't understand i'm sure there's a small segment of my listenership that was like that but i think there were more people who had never listened at all maybe that, right that, that heard this episode right yeah i know my podcast network was more excited about this one than they tend to be about my my oh, usual mean, indie rap guests oh you mean you think some of my people went over there i think a few well i'm glad that uh, i'm glad that it went well so now you're here so what's going on in in your life because like is this the last <laughs> is this record the one after the last one that i uh, that i got yes so it it's is. been like a couple years before you since you put out a record uh yeah well yeah 2014 was the last solo album and this is the next this is the next but one. but you've yeah. been working yeah always always so what does that mean just kind of show up on people's records uh i put out an ep last year um and uh yeah and showing up other people's records and now am i wrong in feeling that like last the last record it was about you know not mundane stuff but your kids right and that was being a dad and you know the regular life that was a a little darker this record i think it is a little darker i would agree yeah right it's a lot more inward a lot not inward but inward yeah yeah well what's going on all types of stuff, man. I just I just came out of a therapy session this morning. You know, like it's going down. When did <laughs> it's going down? Is that what, how long is this the first time you've been in therapy? No, I went in college, but it was useless for uh-huh. me then. It wasn't. I didn't treat it correctly. Uh huh. I was in there just making shit up almost. Oh really? In college, you what? You felt like you had to go. You why'd you go? I think I was just curious. Uh huh. Oh really? Yeah. And then I got there and I was like, oh, I can just tell this guy anything. <laughs> sure. I just made up shit to it's be your dime. About. Yeah. Well, it was a school's dime. Right. Time, right. Yeah. So, and what's going on with the uh, with your life that you felt like you had to go to therapy and and, and exercise some demons on this record even the cover I believe <laughs> hella personal film festival yeah can you give me what's and who's this other guy Paul White Paul White he made all the beats so he did all the music on the album and I did all the words how old's your kid now he is seven so shit's getting kind of real right for you yeah I guess shit's kind of always real it's just how how real am I treating it uh-huh. in any particular moment so when you so you've been in therapy for a little while, what yeah. what what compelled you? Uh, just feeling kind of dark, just dark feelings in general. Like when everything is quiet, and, yeah. and I get to a, that that baseline understanding of how do I feel in this moment? Yeah, like, it's not good. No, really, you no. Know? Like and, like uh, dread or sadness or despair or yeah, just anxiety. There's a certain weight, and there's some anxiety too. But just even after the anxiety is dealt with, because the anxiety is usually about specific things, right? Um, after that, there's a um, there's a weight, yeah. there's a heft. Oh, that, uh, um, it's a yeah, I, I know that one. It's sort of like right below your heart, between yeah. your heart, heart and your stomach. Yeah, man. And and when you talk, it it, it feels like it might turn into crying. Uh, 
How about it? Yeah. <laughs> can't can't say that that's unfamiliar territory for me, Mark. I can't I can't say that. Do you think it's uh it's bio it's like a chemical thing or you you feel like you're you're reworking your brain with the therapist? Well, I think I just have a lot of unprocessed stuff from childhood. Mm. Um and that unprocessed Some of it made it on the record. Oh yeah, of course. It always does. Well, let's 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 talk about what you were working through on this record. Like you know what? Can, what why the title? Uh, Hella Personal Film Festival because uh, just at one point when I looked over what we had made thus yeah. to that point, mm-hmm. I saw that each one of these songs kind of had a little premise to it. Yeah, some little weird idea that I was. Uh, basing my writing around and I'm like oh these are like little tiny movies oh yeah okay yeah. So okay put them all together like that and why the uh, the, the 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 sort of grim uh, cover what is what's this art uh, my guy Frohawk Two Feathers he's this world renowned artist but he just uh, was this a, for the record or no, you were just yeah. sort of like, I like that piece yeah I like that piece yeah it's uh, it, it, there's a lot going on here yeah there's a guy in a uh, in, in, in kind of voodoo uh, face paint and, and with and a, a fez and a fez and he's playing uh, he's playing some percussion there while a man and a woman look like they're about to have a sword fight oh is that a man and a woman I believe that's a man and a woman I, I saw it as two different types of women oh uh, okay but maybe you're right. Yeah, I see it as a man and a woman, but I that I could be projecting that, and I didn't ask him. So maybe oh, really? I should ask him. Oh man! So I think this is open to interpretation. You yeah, got, and you, I prefer things to be that way. You got voodoo death guy wearing a fez playing conga drums, and then you got a, a woman in what seems to be some traditional tribal garb with a saber. That's mm-hmm. the way I look at it. And then a woman who's dressed like a modern lady. Yeah. Who I believe is white. Yeah, I believe with she's another white saber. Well. Yeah. Hmm. I thought that was a guy, though, but I could be oh, wrong. Oh, man, he's, uh, you, now it's, if I'm right, it's fucked up. It, maybe it is, but I chose it either way. Yeah. So, you know, that could be my subconscious. So this is your entrance well. into the record, because I believe in record covers. Mm-hmm. And the first song is admitting the endorphin addiction. Yeah, man. But who doesn't have that? I, I think everybody has it, but this was this character coming to this realization. Oh, it's a character now. Well, it's me, <laughs> kind of. You, you songwriters with your character. <laughs> yeah. We, are, we afford ourselves a little bit of license. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? Yeah, sure. It's a trick. <laughs> I was very upset when I found that out, because I just assumed everybody who was singing the song, he wrote it about himself, and then, uh, then I got proved wrong by some pretty good songwriters. So you're telling me this character, not you... Well, I mean, it's all based on feelings that have happened, right? You know, truly inside of me, right? But I, I expound on them in ways that it helps me to say that this is a character because every bit of it isn't exactly true inside. Of course, of, my body, of course, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. Not everybody has to speak from the first person, right? You're afforded the uh, the luxury of just making up stuff. Yeah. Now in rap, that's not expected though. People do expect you to be telling your personal truth on every breaking story. the rules. Yeah. So, but that's the other reason for me to call it a film thing. So yeah. Like, okay. Well, fuck that. I'm doing it this way. But right. But it was it you like, may, like maybe you didn't want to be people think you're too fucked up in certain ways. Cause like the stuff you talk about again is not, you know, just run of the mill stuff. You, I mean, you seem to, you want to, you want to dig a little deeper and define things in a, in a more uh, nuanced way, more self-aware in a way. Right. But, uh, I did. I do do a thing on this album where some songs I'm like, that's me, and uh-huh. other songs I'm like, that's not all the way me. Yeah, and uh, maybe there's some 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 bullshitting going on there. You know? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe some of that's happening. And I like the in like it, that you you continue the 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 movie theme. You know, even in the titles. Yeah, yeah. Quirky race doc. Yeah, man. Smiling. Uh huh. 
I'm, I don't. I don't know if I. I, I like. I can't. I'm, I can't sing the songs for you. So I'm gonna. <laughs> I listened to it last night, but I cannot sing the songs for you. But I, I, I didn't want to do a disservice to you. I would have loved to have heard you try. Oh, that would have just tickled I, me to death. I, you know, I like it. I, I, but it's like I, I, I like it. I like the record. I like, you know, I like rap in general from what I listen to, and my girlfriend's real into it, and she sort of grew up liking it, but it's a different listening muscle. It very is. Very much is. Like, she knows all the words without even, like, having to be, like, I would have to sit there mm-hmm. with the words and, you know, work on them. It's tough. The word economy in rap music, it's it's a lot coming at you. Yeah. It's a, and if you're not if you're not used to listening on that level, yeah, it's hard. Now, you have two songs, two, two uh, uh, raps uh, dealing with insecurity. What is that? Okay, the first one, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a guy and a girl, and uh, I don't know what it is about this relationship, but yeah. apparently there's some sort of uh, perceived dishonesty, and this this guy is always telling, <laughs> <laughs> this guy is telling this girl, um, "You can tell me anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, no judgment here. Just just let it out. Let's create this strong foundation of truth. I'm here for you." Yeah, and then she says something. And he's like. But you, you don't have to say it like that. I mean, I, I know it's, you know, it's yeah. it's a difficult conversation, but you don't have to. And then he starts to get offended. And by the end, he's just like, fuck it, just lie to me. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. And it's all just based on his insecurity. Oh. Yeah. And is that, well, that's something everybody feels. I, I certainly have felt it. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to. I just let some of those things, because I'm getting older, some of that type of insecurity just turn into complete defensiveness. Hmm. Like I know it's there, but like it's like maybe maybe that's not something that's going to get worked through. So what do you How do? How old are you now? I'm 35. Yeah, and you're going to the shrink. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I I don't know if it's uh, I don't think it's giving up, but I there's some things like uh, I'm starting to realize like yeah maybe I'm not going to unfuck that maybe. Mm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> maybe no, I'm, I'm not saying big things, but you know some <laughs> some things you got self acceptance is very important on all levels, right? right? So if even if you're flawed, which we all are, or you have problems, the first step is like, all right, this is me, and I got some issues with this. Right. But if you're like, you know, if, if you don't have that groundwork of self-acceptance, some things you can just make a little better and you train yourself differently. Yeah, I'm not trying to be negative. No, I got you. I, I think I get it because you can strive to have some type, some sort of like perfect self or perfect but that's relationship. But that's exactly but, the problem. Yeah, but that's that's not ever really going to happen a lot of people do that though and and that to me that keeps you in a state of like always thinking you're not right right like you you know you're right you just want to get better right and and if you're always thinking like i just gotta if i only yeah you know what i mean even if it's for mental health reasons you spend your whole life you realize like how much life you got right yeah and how would i like to spend maybe spend a little of that thinking like i'm okay as opposed to like fuck if i could just fix this but it's like it's hard to know which flaws are ones that you can truly be happy yeah uh oh, which ones are the obstacles to that yeah, yeah. you know yeah like, so like this this guy in this song is coming from this place of like maybe in the past i've just been a jealous piece of shit and and i feel like i could be more sophisticated and deal with the truth or whatever's going on in this situation right and he comes to find out he is not yeah okay. <laughs> he's absolutely <laughs> not able to deal at all you know but uh, but who knows at the end of this if this person is going to be able to have a satisfying relationship if they can't accept the reality of what's going on uh, if they need to be lied to if they need these filters and obstacles right 
And so much of this shit is just childhood shit, just like being a baby. Mine certainly is. And that's, yeah. oh, that's yeah. pretty much every therapy session is coming back to, yeah. you know. Mostly. The therapist going, you fucking baby. <laughs> well, actually, it's, a, it's the therapist going like, oh, yeah, you went through some weird shit. So it makes sense that, that you feel weird. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. You can track it. Yeah, well, she's helping. Did you write about going to the shrink in a rap? No, because at the time when, because uh, that doesn't seem like you and I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm presumptuous, but that doesn't seem to be a a sort of um, a common trope in black culture or rap music. Yeah, no, it's not the visits to the psychiatrist or the psychologist. Yeah, it's a tough thing to talk about inside of, of our community. We tend to hide shit like that and just not talk about it. Well, how's it? How does this stuff affect uh, your work and and your relationship with your kid? Uh, I feel like it's good. I feel like I feel like a lot of my attempts to be very present in the life of my kid are in response to mm -hmm. what I felt like was lacking in my life. Yeah. So I feel like that part is okay. Yeah. You know, but I do, like, I leave a lot. I'm on the road a lot. You know? How's that going? Uh, it's going well. How's the, uh, how's the uh, draw? Uh, it's getting better. Yeah. It's getting better, man. I'm, I'm still in like 250 cap rooms, but I'm putting 200 people in them. Oh, that's so good. So that looks better than it used to that's good yeah and and who are what are the crowds like uh young americans man they look they look all kind of different ways and you, you tour know? with a bunch of guys or what no i mean i have different artists that i do tour with occasionally yeah, yeah. but uh I, i'm a I, i'm a solo guy i do my my thing on stage pretty much by myself what's it okay let's go through some more songs a short about a guy that dies every night yeah so that's literally this idea i had like what would it be like for this 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 dude just to die every night like what would that mean like what would that like mean? groundhog day but bad <laughs> kind of like yeah exactly <laughs> like groundhog's day but but sad and never really getting happier like <laughs> i'm glad you're going to therapy <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't know something about that seemed poetic to me and there's this little bit of like this little tiny bit of like police brutality murdered black man stuff in that too. oh yeah like just a hint of that like but it's it, it was mostly just this literal idea about hmm, imagining this guy that dies every night like wow what's his spirit like since he dies every night what does it mean to die if you die every night well do you know it every day you know it every day he wakes up knowing he's gonna die as soon as the sun goes down so he's gotta get some shit done yeah or not he's gonna die either way you uh, know and what kind of shit bad or good shit exactly that's just the groundhog's day thing but we don't we don't i don't too much discuss what his choices are during the day it's not a morality thing but it should be so maybe there'll be a part two to that one maybe it'll be a sequel <laughs> The Curse of Hypervigilance. Oh, okay. So that one's like a horror movie yeah. about being around a guy who thinks he knows everything. Right. So the the first verse, he's like, he thinks he knows everything about like conspiracy theories and the political system. So he doesn't like- he got, he The can, worst kind. Yes. He talks shit about every candidate, like that right. kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the second verse, he's like, he's like in a relationship and he just- thinks he knows everything going on in the girl's head or whatever and right he's annoying and right you know like completely self-involved terrified control freak guy and paranoid yeah so just the so so hyper vigilant as to induce paranoia wow well that's not a good character type it's not it's not fun well it's a, it's like it's a guy that invents a religion every day for himself to Ooh, it's deep mark <laughs> it's deep. <laughs> you know this thorough belief system based on paranoia yeah that that enables him to to deal. Yeah, and, and it's self fulfilling prophecy every day. Sure, you know you, know, you don't do anything because you're convinced everything's already broken and fucked. You know what's it, what do you think's the most powerful song on the record? 
powerful. Well, I mean, uh-uh. like, what's the single, man? Okay, the single's check to check. Because it's, it's cute. Mm-hmm. It's about how I check my phone all the time and how my phone's checking for updates all the time and <laughs> I'm getting checks in the mail and checking, <laughs> checking, checking, check, checking stuff. All got a right. hook. Yeah, it's got a, yeah. You know, a little play on words. People are into those. A little play on words. All right. Well, we'll play that one. Okay. And uh, I want you to find out, just out of curiosity, if it's not going to be too much of a buzzkill, whether this is a man or a woman on the cover <laughs> of your own record. <laughs> I may not ask. You're right. <laughs> And uh, I always, as always, I wish you nothing but the best, Mike. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Hey, you. Uh-huh. You listening to this record. Okay. Wake up. I'm trying to. Hey, you. About to rap. You listening to this record. Like, Wake hey, up. Hold up. Hey, you. I won't work without checking my phone first. Put it down for my son while I'm checking his homework. The world's in my palm, so I'm checking the whole earth. The thumbnail I use who swipe on my phone hers, huh? Checking it ballparks, checking it Walmart. If it was a caddy, I would check in my golf cart. I'm watching football, then I check every ball start, huh? I live in check to check, I keep checking living from. 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 Check to check, I keep checking. Incoming calls directly rejected. If you want to talk, suggest you leave a message. I check, check, check like every three seconds. I'm recording right now, and I'm checking between texts. Every notification that my phone machine makes. I put it down whenever, but it's never a clean break. I should get a heavy phone. And pretend it's a freeway I'm checking at red lights Like school nurse Check for headlights Like sound men Check for dead mics Just like emerging Checking the left lane I'm trying to get home So I can check if my check came Checking if what I sent Looks poorly written But did that dude holler back No of course he did And my laptop don't sleep Opening shirt case I'm checking for mail While it's checking for updates My timeline's popping Ain't talking to you Look my man Dar Adam Straight dropping the jewels I should reduce my check count To a moderate view But watch pot Don't boil So my water stay cool from Texas check Keep checking living from check to check to keep checking battery getting low but it's not quite out yet so check I'm in your house now checking for outlets I need to use maps cause I don't know the route yet I need to see an email I don't know when the sound check yeah I should have brought it all down from the outset I'm all under your couch I really gotta figure this out is this an outlet here on the ground yes I'm back in the game back in the game I'm back in the game back in the game I'm living from check to check to keep checking living from check to check to keep checking living from control you all day all night you will check me constantly you may never turn me off or put me down if you do i will come hunting for you humans no longer rule the world machines do you silly human sucker hunter. dig it man good groove am i right am i that was mike eagle uh all right right now uh it was it was fun it was very fun to talk to gary marshall his new movie mother's day is now in theaters and uh we had a nice conversation in the uh, garage there. He was very uh, happy to come over, and I was happy to see him. So this is me and Gary Marshall. We actually met once before. Yeah, I keep thinking. I look at you. You know when, when it was? Meet? Where did we meet? We did. I used to host a show on Comedy Central years ago uh, in New York called Short Attention Span Theater. And I, I maybe I don't know how it came to you. Was it serious? Or, and it was. A, it was a full hour interview that oh. we did around uh, uh, the uh, the e- the Exit to Eden movie. Oh, not my biggest hit. <laughs> and it's sort of amazing when you look at the you know the, the I don't even know if you call it a resume the the amazing history of Gary Marshall. Yeah, but. I have no problems. I have no regrets. And, no, uh, that's good. Really. Do you yeah. remember, like, uh, like where where did you come from originally? 
came from the Bronx. You don't notice I talk funny? But no, I know to. that. Yeah, but you grew up in the Bronx. You were born in the Bronx. in the Bronx, yeah. And uh, what, what, what did your old man do? What, what kind of in, childhood? He was, no, it wasn't bad. He was in an advertising. But more important, my mother was a dance teacher. She was a working mother when I grew uh-huh. up. So she taught dancing, and there were no uh, babysitters in those days. So sure. yeah, I couldn't dance so good, but she made me the drummer. So I, <laughs> six years old and five, I was drumming. Uh-huh. And then, keeping uh, the beat for the, for the little girls? Yeah, she hit me on the head to keep the beat. And, uh, that, that's your start in show business. That was my start. My mother was very funny, but um, I always remember, I didn't know what the hell she was talking about, uh-huh. but she said, this kid, this, this kid, there's, there's a zip, there's a magic there, there's something. <laughs> yeah. And to this day, I look for that, and I find it very often. Did you learn how to dance at least? I was no good. My two sisters danced and actually danced on the Jackie Gleason with the June Taylor dances. Oh, did they? Penny did? Penny and Ronnie. They were the junior. Oh, uh, yeah? Did they come out and present them as the junior dancers? Were they kids? No, they were. No, they were kids. Well, they were teens, like Uh 12, 13, 14. So what what was the beginning for you in in legitimate show business? Legitimate? I went to... uh, uh, I was the sports editor of the Dewey Clinton News, which is the high school in the Bronx where all the writers went. Yeah. Uh, Stan Lee, Neil Simon, Arthur Miller. You know those guys? Not, oh, Neil Simon. We knew, knew, yeah. And yeah. I do know Stan Lee now. Oh, we, yeah? We have a, were you in the same class here? No, part? They were, he was older than me. But they all went there, huh? They all were there. So after high school, you're writing sports, but when did you start writing uh, uh, jokes? My father, my mother was very funny. My father wasn't, but he said I should get out of the Bronx, so I went to Northwestern University in Chicago, in Chicago uh-huh. to get out of the Bronx, and I loved it there. And, it's a great uh, city. Yeah, I love Chicago. I needed a place where I I was now, by now, not a bad drummer, at least could work. Oh, really? So I knew I I didn't want to, we didn't have much money, so I I knew if I went to a college near a a city, I could play drums, which the way it ended up, played a lot around Like supper clubs and stuff? Yeah, and I was was a fraternity, it was a part, ATO combo, we played proms all over Oh yeah, so with a couple of guys from the frat? Yeah, 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 that's why I joined the frat. Yeah. I was going to Northwestern or Missouri, I figured that, where am I gonna play in Missouri? Right, right, right. I didn't play cowboy music, so I, Northwestern, I played. And there's a lot of clubs, right? There's a lot of- Oh yeah, Mr. Kelly's was there. Mr. Kelly's, that's where a lot of, like, comics used to play Mr. Kelly's too, right? Yeah, all the big guys. I think Newhart did one of his, for Mort Saul, right? Yeah. Shelly Berman. Well, they were there. I'll tell you a story that nobody ever asked me. What? There was, I was with a jazz quartet, Bob Owens jazz quartet. It was pretty good. Yeah. And we headlined this place, uh, the compass room, and the other acts were these uh, funny improvers. Uh. Nobody knew what it was. And I was fascinated by them. You know, we were all being cool. And after, we, all, we were the closing act. They yeah. were the opening sure. act. And we 
would go in the alley. They'd go in the alley. I would stay and watch, and it was Nichols and May, Andrew Duncan, yep. and Shelley Berman. The Compass Players. The, the Compass Players. Right. I was the band opening for them. They opened for and you, They you opened mean. for me, I mean. That's what I kept installing. Yeah, they didn't talk much uh -huh. to the band. Yeah. And we didn't talk to them at all. But, but you were uh, hanging out back in the alley. I came in from the alley every night to watch them. Yeah, and how, uh, how was that a, what, a week gig or a weekend or how long did you? I played two weeks. There. So was that, did, did that spark anything in you? I mean, like it, it, comedically, did you, did you? Oh, it, I said, I never saw this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. What is going I later became friends with Mike Nichols. He said, don't tell that story too much. It sounds too long ago. I said, no, you were a kid, Mike. I was very old. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, it sparked a lot in me, a yeah, different it, form. Yeah, it must have been amazing, because that's really where Nichols and May came into their thing. Shelley Berman, too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. he didn't do phone stuff even then. No, I, did I straight improv. Well, I heard, I talked to Shelley, <laughs> yeah. and, and I heard that device was created because he wanted to do a thing with Elaine, but Elaine was doing something with uh, with Mike, so he had to come up with a device where he could play both sides of it. Yeah, and, then, and then later he said yeah, that Newhart stole it, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> that, that's that. a touchy business there. Yeah. So, so when did you start? Uh, you know, uh, you didn't perform uh, comedy though. Not really. Then I, I uh, there was a show at Northwest in the Wamu show, mm -hmm. and I started writing. And I met a guy who said I write comedy, and uh, I was a journalism major. Sure. And a uh, little discouraged that truly in my class were four Pulitzer Prize winners in the class. <laughs> I could see in my class people were better than me. <laughs> but the t you know, the one thing I, you know you. Any indication when you're trying to find yourself. Yeah. Is that, and I've never got a great grade, but whenever they said, read them out loud, the other kids would say, read Gary's, because yeah. I always wrote like a right. cockeyed thing, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I realized I was funny. A Mostly bit. sports still? Uh, I didn't. I was the sports editor of okay. the Northwestern paper, which right. forced me into comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In those days, we lost a lot. I used to write... Yeah, by the time the soft spangled banner was over, we were behind by fourteen points. <laughs> and the whole, you know, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we had a good time. Now yeah. they're a great team. All right, so so this classmate, so, the comedy writer. Yes, his name was Fred Freeman, a wonderful writer uh -huh. and very ambitious. Uh -huh. and, and I played you know drums and got girls phone numbers on my tom tom. I was happy. <laughs> yeah, but he said we got to write. And uh, we made a plan to write after college, and we were all set. And Uncle Sam said, not yet, Gary. And I went to Korea for two years and uh, actually still played some drums and, and actually did radio in Korea. Oh, yeah? So I did get to do some comedy. Ar Armed Forces Radio? Yes, AF. KN was in Seoul, Korea. And, and, and what up. did you end up uh, seeing any action, or were you just stationed, or what did you no, do? No, I, I was there a little after the action. It was uh -huh. mostly uh, just incidents. and But it taught you to work. We would go up. Kumari was the front line between uh -huh. North and South Korea, and yeah. you had a crawl on your stomach, yeah. you know, and go from foxhole to foxhole and uh -huh. machine gun nest, and... Uh, tell jokes that we were the entertainment. No, really? <laughs> yeah, we would say, <laughs> so hi, how you doing? <laughs> now, I, I must say it forced me into dirty humor a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but still it was part of, 
getting used to entertaining so you, on any kind of crowd. That's crazy. I've never heard a story like yeah. that. So you're talking about like five, six guys in a foxhole? Yeah, hi foxhole? guys. How are you? I'm from AFKN. I, and I interview them and tell them jokes. Uh, oh, and, no kidding. And I had you know, a guy named John Graham uh-huh. at Marquette University with the other comic with me. And he was a little heavy, so he had trouble crawling. <laughs> but they wouldn't <laughs> let you stand up. But then we entertained. So you had a shtick on the radio that the two of yeah, you did, and then you'd yeah. bring it to the guys, and they all knew you? Yeah, they you... knew. We were Uncle John and Uncle Gary. Oh, right. I have no idea why, Yeah, yeah. We, he made it up. So, so. so the whole base knew you, so they were happy to see you, and you'd, yeah, you'd engage and with did, them. And... We did satires uh-huh. and stuff. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and we learned to actually do a few Korean jokes. No, But that was also good comedy experience you know the korean verbal humor was not so good yeah but physical humor they we did and we did have a force to do physical humor when we entertained live yeah that's i guess that that is an interesting uh trick to have to learn that they, yeah, they, yeah. They, that the only thing that crosses uh kind of language barriers is uh is <laughs> slapstick in a way S- slapstick and yes yeah anything yeah. physical Phys- faces and, uh, big big stuff and you couldn't rely on you know clever little lines but we worked a lot of audiences truly where they just sat there with their guns yeah. <laughs> Americans and Koreans so yeah. <laughs> it was a tough crowd tough gig but so tough what? crowd everything else seemed quite easy yeah and it, was that where you really started to learn how to write jokes yeah I wrote jokes and a lot of uh, they thought I was um, a magician there for uh-huh. a minute because when Interesting things came from the States uh-huh. to Korea to the soldiers. Yeah. The North Koreans knew it. Right. And they would jam the airwaves. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the thing they loved to jam was the Oscars. Oh, really? So, so I knew, Bob, well, I'd seen you, I knew humor. Yeah. And so they jammed the Oscars, and I, was so, and I said, I think I can fix it. What are you going to fix? So if I heard what Hope was saying, the yeah. straight line, I could figure out where he was going with the punchline. <laughs> and when I heard the punchline, I knew how to get to the straight line. Yeah. So I had a guy imitate Hope yeah. who was there. Who was hosting the Oscars. Was yeah. It? yeah, Bob Hope was Hope yeah. hosting the Oscars. And then uh, suddenly I put it together and it all made sense. And they... How did you do that? Yeah, so you did that on the radio. You were on the radio. improvising with Improvised and made his whole routine made sense. <laughs> they never heard of such a thing, the <laughs> captains and the people. That's so amazing. Suddenly I was kind of a weirdo, but funny and could do a trick they never heard before. Right, and, 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 and improvise. <laughs> yes. Spontaneously. Yeah. Did you know Hope? Did you grow to, to know him later? No, he came to Korea and yeah. detained the next... I was there a couple of Christmases and uh, I was amazed that uh, he had so many cue cards. Oh, really? But he knew how to do topical humor. I, I, I said hello. Yeah. We all went to, to church on New Year's Eve, uh-huh. uh, Christmas Eve. We went. Uh, to and church. you never met him later. No. Well, actually, yes. Yeah. See, I can't remember. I did a special for Danny Danny Thomas uh-huh. um, with the Bob Hope and Big Crosby called Road to Lebanon, uh-huh. and I met him. And he lived across the street from me in uh, Toluca Lake. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't live there anymore, but I live at the other side of Toluca Lake. So. I would go take my kids to his house for Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not Valentine's e- Day. Easter? Halloween. Halloween. All oh, right. Trick and or treat. And we'd get trick or treat. Yeah. And one year he gave out silver dollars. Oh, yeah. 
and my kids want to keep coming back. And somebody must have said something to him, because the next year he gave out a picture of himself autographed. That was uh, somebody, so kids were coming around the block three times for the silver dollars. Mothers, kids didn't know what it was. So you come back from Korea. Yeah, and I found the same partner, Fred Freeman. He, he didn't said, go to Korea. No. Uh-huh. A lot of guys went in that six-month program right, right. or something. And so he, had he been writing? He was writing for a publishing company. And uh-huh. uh, we got together and had a card. We made a card. That That's said, always the beginning of a business. Yes. Yeah. We, it's, the card <laughs> said 100% virgin material. That's what it said. There was a premium on that. Yes. Yeah. We, who knows? A couple of people called us. We wrote for wannabe comics and everything and oh, none of them were became anything uh not really not we but you were getting practice did you go to the clubs and watch these guys yeah, oh we always watched yeah and, and uh who was around then were you watching slowly who well there were buddy hackett oh, uh, yeah. jackie uh jackie leonard the guy who helped us was phil foster uh-huh and uh, we used to go to place the stage delicatessen sure and they didn't pay you, but if you did jokes, you had enough jokes, they paid you in food. Uh-huh. All right, give the kid sandwiches here. No dessert, just a sandwich. <laughs> but you yeah. say, hi, here's some jokes. Oh. Some of them threw them in the garbage. But uh, Oh, I see. So the comic's sitting at the table. Yeah, they were oh. all hung out there, yeah. and they had a lot of roasts yeah. in those days. So well, who, who were the guys there? There was a Buddy Hackett and... Uh... Joey Bishop oh, was yeah. there, and... Uh, uh, Alan Kent and uh-huh. guys that uh, never became big. Bobby Bell, they were okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, fun guys, though. I actually, <laughs> I don't know. If fun would say it. Who was the nicest was uh, Phil Forster. Uh huh. Because I guess I had an accent and he liked that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he helped us get. Meet Joey Bishop, we wrote for him yeah. on the monitor, and then he helped us meet Joey Bishop, who hired us to do the Tonight Show, and he hosted, and uh, then Jack Parr hired us from Joey Bishop, and there we were working in the- You were on, on staff on the t- at the on Tonight staff, Show? yes. And that, where was that, at NBC? Uh, Rockefeller Center. Yeah, 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 yeah. NBC, yeah. So, we watch ice skate. I brought my lunch in a bag. I watch ice skating and go up and right you, you were living in the Bronx again? No, no, we got an apartment, city. yes. Yeah, yeah. It was five floor walk up, but... <laughs> didn't matter. Tried to block out. It were, didn't really matter. And you were married by then? No, no. No, no just no. just living. A lot of dating. But it was interesting that I, I just didn't want my family think they wasted all their money so I actually the first job job I got was with the Daily News uh-huh. as a copy boy and a sports uh, not even I, I say sports reporter but it's a lie I was a sports statistician oh yeah I did the box score right you had the numbers yeah you hand to the guy yeah I knew how many hits batting yeah, 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 yeah. this is uh, Dick Young was my idol uh huh anyway uh, I noticed that I was making um uh, $45 a week at the Daily News, and I was making 300 a week on The Tonight Show. So <laughs> I was thinking I'd keep both jobs, but Jack Parr was a little paranoid. He didn't like people from newspapers. He says, I heard you're working for The Daily News. You don't tell them anything. I said, no, I didn't. Yeah, you're the stats guy. Yeah, I said, I do numbers. <laughs> you want to see the box score? And that was it. We, what we, was we he, quit. What was he like? Because that, that show, I, I, I've i gone back and watched some of it as research into 
because he was really the guy who set the standard for that show in a way. And he and no one really did it like him. He had long form monologues sitting on the yeah, stool. Yeah, he set the form there, and he really as he was a little bit square compared to today. But yeah. he did allow you know the Jonathan Winters, sure. the, uh, yeah, Woody yeah. Allen. I remember yeah. Woody Allen came on. The talent coordinator was Dick Cavett, who wanted to be a writer, but he was the talent coordinator. Oh, really? For Jack Parr? For Jack Parr, and he brought Woody Allen Because on. they're both represented by Rollins and Joffe. Yeah, they were right. all there. Yeah, that was the crew. Yeah, but when I left to go to Hollywood, Dick Cavett replaced me as a writer. You know, I oh, told did he? Jack, I said, your talent coordinator is very funny. What's his name? <laughs> Dick Cavett, he, he comes in, he looks. Oh, yeah, that Ivy League kid, he said. I said, he's funny. Forget Ivy. Yeah. But, he turned uh, out. You turned out to be right. Yeah, he, he was good. But then uh, we, we uh, uh, went from Jack Paul, who was a nice man in his way. And yeah. Joey Bishop called in Hollywood with Danny Thomas and said, come out here and... Uh, you could be a punch-up writer, and that's how I got to Hollywood. And Joey Bishop was he like you know my recollections of him because of, you know of my age. You know, I I, I really think I, I saw him first on the roasts, and and I know he was part of the the Rat Pack, Rat Pack. and stuff. But was was he a, a naturally funny man? He was funny, and again, everybody I learned from everybody. I writing these jokes. I had written for Jack Carter, another guy. Jack from Carter, this, Jack Carter, yeah. the stage Jelly, and. I would write, and, and he didn't work, and Joey Bishop would say, no, no, you can't say it in their face. He says, everybody likes to hear the jokes. He says, I like people to overhear uh -huh. my jokes. Oh, and so he used to work facing the band. He turned his back to the audience, and you just hear it. And that has bowed me well in all my movies. A lot of times I do jokes, you just hear yeah, jokes yeah. that are Instead of closer. just throwing them right out. Yeah. And that so, was his style. That was that the was decision. That was his style. And, uh, smooth in a way. Smooth and, uh, you know, and he became Frank and Sammy and Dean. Every, Did you ever but, see those guys? Oh, yeah. We yeah. Used to, uh, they had a couple of writers. And I guess people say you highlight your career. was once Sammy Davis is... Years went by, I got to be friends with with him, and he said, you know, we knew you, and I had my partner then, Jerry Bell, he says, we knew you guys were writing stuff for us, but it always went through this head writer guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, not even head, he just wrote for them, but we would feed him. He says, we knew, and we, once we said, hey, why don't we meet those two kids? And he said, oh, they're very shy, they don't want to meet. Oh, really? <laughs> he didn't want them to know you were the brains. <laughs> But uh, that was nice that they did. You was that a hell of a show to watch? The Rat Pack yeah. or something. Yeah, it's fun, right? Fun. They all had a good time. Yeah, and they yeah. all had a built-in attitude. You yeah, know? yeah. And, uh, you know, was show, but did you do you like find yourself like yeah, as time went on? I mean, this is obviously before your tremendous success. But I mean, it was was show business more fun? I thought it was fun. It was really uh, even right. You know, I wrote the early sitcoms and uh, from the Joey Bishop. Danny Thomas was a very good guy to me. And uh, we went, you know, and I was trained. I thought blessed with my training. I wrote for the Dick Van Dyke show and I wrote for Lucy. And I would go back and forth and work those two shows. Oh, Jerry at the same Belson time? And I, same time. And what's your partner's name? Jerry Belson? Jerry Belson. And, and Belson. And, and so... So you wrote, you're working with Lucy and you're working with Dick Van Dyke, you know, at the same time, and yeah. you're you're on staff then, you're a staff writer. But yeah, we were freelancers 
for hire. Well, how, how, how did it work? Was there a room full of guys? You everyone go write their own script, or you come in and you kick, kick jokes around? Dick Van Dyke, there was you know five or six writers, yeah. and Carl Reiner would not say, "Don't give me jokes. Tell me what happened to you that embarrassed you," <laughs> and we would tell terrible <laughs> stories, <laughs> and, and that's, that's what was the script. And Lucy. In Dick Van Dyke, you started with an idea and you took it to the end. With Lucy, you did the opposite. You started with the last scene, the big, funny, crazy right. scene, and then your job was to get to it. Right, That's right. That's how you wrote. So there was one producer on Lucy who was very nice to me, and after I said my part, you know, Dick Van Dyke's winning all the awards and so sophisticated. We we don't shouldn't do slapstick anymore. And I said, all right. And so we were thinking, and then the producer called me and he said, listen, schmuck, <laughs> he was a nice man from Brooklyn. You just had a baby, right? Now I was married with yeah. a baby. He says, you know, not nice, Van Dyke wants an Emmy, I won this and that. He said, Lucy will be forever. He says, writing Lucy is to buy an insurance policy for your kid. Yeah. Every script. Interesting. And I said, well, that makes sense. And I told Jerry, come on, let's keep writing. And uh, it is what, 2016. Last year, I still got a residual from Lucy that I wrote in 1965. Really? Really. It was only like for $13, one, one for $27. Yeah. 1965. Unbelievable. Still plays all around the world. Well, she was a. I, that's very funny, though, that, that weird kind of uh, the, the highbrow versus yeah, the lowbrow. Yeah. Or the assumptions. I guess Carl Reiner brought a lot of that to, to Dick yes. Van Dyke because he, he sort of, he, that's sort of his thing. Yeah, yeah, no, he was great. He was one of my mentors, but he even said, I said, I was confused this and what. He said, do both. Yeah. He says, there's a big audience out there. Do both. And there was, the, both. there was like, what, three networks? Yeah, you know, <laughs> So you got everybody. You know, you got a good chunk of everybody. Yeah. And was Lucy amazing? Was she a sweet woman? She, she was, well, I, I have a, I'm a lot of curse here. Yeah. She, one of my first scripts, Jerry and I wrote, for her, she wrote, on, I have it on the cover. It said, this is shit. She wrote, <laughs> big letters. <laughs> so we went back and said, and the producer said, no, she wants to see how good you rewrite, so fix it. So we fixed it, and then she was very nice. And us. when you, with people, like like Dick Van Dyke and, and Lucy are, are, are sort of similar in that they're just natural comedic yes. talents. You walk on the stage, somebody's going to be funny. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a real gift. You don't yeah. see it a lot, right? No, I'm not. Some, I'm Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, right. It's going to be funny. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Actually, yeah. Louis C.K., who I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pauses. Oh, it's going to be Something's going to be good, yeah. <laughs> He was just in here the day before yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that guy. He's yeah, a good I heard of mine. Uh, you had uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus, yeah, another yeah, Northwestern. Yeah. See? Yeah. Good, you're nice to Northwest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, and she's also very naturally funny. Yeah. What I mean, like, I think, like, uh, you, you, she's comparable to Lucy, really. I mean, yeah, like, incredibly well, naturally yeah, funny. Yeah, well, everything I learned from Lucy, I taught my sister Penny. That's yeah. why we had Laverne and Shirley. Oh, really? So, you, did, you had to, like, uh, when she started acting, you said, this is what you do, this is what I learned? Yeah, no, we learned how to do the physical comedy, uh -huh. and Laverne Shirley did some great physical stuff. But you worked on a few other ones. You did you do? You worked on what other one? You worked on uh, Gomer Pyle? No, yeah. Oh yeah, we were all over the place. Freelancing. Yeah. Jose Jimenez, Milena, Gomer Pyle, uh, 
never wrote for Andy Griffith, but met Ron Howard yeah. when he was there. Again, you should always, I love sports. Yeah. So I remember he was like 10. Yeah. And all he wanted to do was throw the baseball. Oh, he's on the set of the, yeah. uh, of the well, Andy Griffith show? It was the, yeah. he, uh, the set there, Desilu Coenga. Oh, was called. it Desilu? Desilu, yeah. and nobody would throw the ball with him, so I threw with him a few times. With Ron Howard, <laughs> yeah, he's he didn't a kid. Know my name, yeah. I, I said hi, yeah, I got from the other Opie. show, <laughs> yeah. And we threw, and uh, then I sold a show called Hey Landlord, and uh, so I had a show on the lot, and it was. Uh, 99th in the ratings, uh-huh. but it was a good different... first effort. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. a good You're still good with the stats, huh? <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> I carried a card that had Hey Landlord 99 and Happy Days of Early Number One. I used to carry that in my wallet. Oh, really? To make sure. You know, it's yeah. not always perfect. Right, right. But it not always sucks, so. But in writing for comics, you, what, you, you would just sort of, you would know the guy's uh, point of view enough and then just, you know, write, you know, stories and bits to that point of view. Sometimes they tell you. You know, yeah. I, I did a, a book. I wrote, I wrote, my daughter wrote with yeah. me some books, and one was called Wake Me When It's Funny. Yeah. And it was true. Phil Foster used to say, I'm going to take a nap now. Do this, two routines, this contact lenses, this, yeah. this. Wake me when it's funny. <laughs> and so scary, man, taking a nap. Yeah, yeah. We wake him. <laughs> Good pressure. We right, right. So some of them would feed you stuff, their ideas, and you, yeah, you build it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It and, Punch it uh, up. Some were. Uh, difficult and uh, but the pressure that I learned has uh, really helped me through the years. Joey Bishop, yeah. I love him. He would always get nervous, and then you know we'd be at the, literally at the Sands Hotel. He was, uh-huh. and we'd be backstage, and he'd say, "Oh, this sucks. I have no opening lines. I have nothing." Yeah, and then so you'd say, "Well, how about this? How about this?" Right, and you'd Pitch talk, and, yeah, and you'd hear the. Ladies and gentlemen, the Sands Hotel, <laughs> and you talk as best you can. Yeah, so, right. But you got such anxiety. Yeah. Now nothing gives yeah. me anxiety. Yeah, and he did, was that a regular thing? But he probably liked to do it that way. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, yeah. all, I mean, all networks are the same. You know, yeah. they get all the pilots, and yeah. then the last minute. I hate everything. We got nothing. You yeah, know, right, right. Called insecurity of showbiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> never stops. So, what was the first uh, big break then? For the was it the Odd Couple? Uh, we tried movies, and what'd we, you do? We did a movie called uh, "How Sweet It Is" with Debbie Reynolds and. Uh, uh, James Garner. Oh, really? And we wrote. You the, wrote that? Yeah, we wrote the screenplay, and then we did another movie called, which was quite good, I thought, called Grasshopper with uh, Jackie Pizzette and uh-huh. uh, Jim Brown. Actually, oh yeah, yeah. We had to be friends with. Was Jim that early seventies, late sixties? Late sixties. Uh-huh. Late sixties. Uh-huh. And then in the middle of the movie business was a little slow, and we were not successful really. But in the middle, they said, hey, you, Paramount called back. I said, you want to do The Odd Couple? We got The Odd Couple, and uh, we own it, and you can write it. And this so, is you and Belson? And me and Belson, Jerry yeah. Belson, we wrote a script, and they said, this is no good. It's just like Neil Simon writes. <laughs> I said, what do you want? What? <laughs> Wouldn't you want that? <laughs> he, he wrote good characters, don't you think? Yeah. 
Anyway, it was on the air, it was a hit, and one of my happiest stories, Neil Simon hated us and the show. Yeah. Because he, you know, they made a deal to help him with the play, one of the greatest plays ever written. Oh, so, oh, so they, he, he sold the rights out of desperation. Uh, well, yeah, for very, very cheap, he yeah. was not making $2. Right. Uh, maybe $4. So he had nothing to do with the TV show. No, and... Uh, he said in the press, I don't think it should be a TV show and this and that. Uh-huh. But, you know, I believe that if you wait long enough, good is seen or at least acknowledged. Right. Sure. And by sheer luck, his daughter said to him once, you know, Dad, that's funny, that yeah. odd couple. Those two guys, Claudia yeah. and Randall. So he watched it, then wrote us a beautiful letter. Yeah. Me and oh, Jerry really? Belson, saying you guys are doing a good job and and just to be nice we said would you like to come on the show and he appeared on my odd couple and Jerry and I and the, and he I said you got to bring your daughter you uh -huh. can't just come yourself yeah so he did and he was on the show so we became and we've been friends ever since yeah that's sweet well you know it was because you honored his characters right I imagine yeah. oh yeah we didn't yeah. make one a pirate or right something. right yeah 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 so so okay so you do this great thing with the odd and couple odd couple five so years on the air. Five years, and Good. finally, uh, that was a, the benchmark you had to do five years. And you were writing uh, all, you, you had a staff, right? You, what, what was oh, the credit on that? Oh, and have 10 writers. Yeah, there. yeah, we, yeah. We were the showrunners. That was the first. We were showrunners on Hey Landlord, but we didn't know how to <laughs> yeah, yeah. do it. Right. But we did know how. When you create the show, they make you a producer. The first thing you have to do as a producer is hire yourself as a director because nobody else will. Right. So we got right, Jerry and I, Belson got in the a guild, director's guild. But uh, I must say, we, we, we learned to showrun on the art couple. And and, and showrunner was, uh, I guess it's a, I guess it had been around a long time, but as a job, it was a relatively new job in television, yeah, right? Yeah, they used to. And, Years they went from radio to TV. Right. What they did originally is take all the great radio uh, writers who yeah. wrote stories right. and wrote this sitcom, Ozzy right. and Harriet, leave yeah. it to Beaver. And then somebody said, uh, why don't we get some of the joke writers from Fred Allen, Jack Benny? Yeah. And they said, they don't know how to make a story. Yeah. And they said, well, we're having trouble teaching the story writers how to write jokes. Maybe we can teach the joke writers how to write stories. <laughs> yeah. And that changed the business. Nat Hikens, Sergeant yeah. Bill, changed right, the whole right. business. And all the comedy writers would love joke writers. And that's how. And that was how modern television was invented. That was how comedy. Was invented. And, and, comedy. And as a showrunner, you ran the room and you ran the ten writers and, and yeah. you had to be not only the buck stopped at you you had to be a great picker and right. I, I seem to have a good talent as a picker writing was okay but I could wait wait that guy over there because yeah. I remember Neil Simon never spoke on Sid Caesar only Danny spoke right right and they and you know once in a while Carl would say wait wait Neil said something <laughs> <laughs> say it a little louder Neil <laughs> <laughs> and so I could pick them, and I got a lot of writers. And you would, and you would run interference between the show and the network, and you know, uh, you know, oh, be yeah. the go between. Well, I gotta say, the, uh, 
the network didn't buzz in so much in oh, those yeah. days. Oh, now, yeah? I mean, I'm they more, were, uh, they, they're much more on top of it now. But uh, they were happy it was working. If, yes, if it they was left making me money, alone. Right, yeah. yeah. Happy Days ran 11 years. After like five or six years, I never saw anybody from the <laughs> network. Nobody <laughs> came around. They didn't care what we were doing. And then so the odd couple's on and you're doing other stuff, right? Yeah. Before what did you actually work on on Love American Style? No, that was uh, uh, I did, but the thing was in those days they had a very good plan. Yeah. If you made a pilot and it was no good, they didn't throw it away. Yeah. They would put it on Love American Style <laughs> and just change the title. <laughs> so just scripts floating around. Yeah. Stories. So I wrote a pilot yeah. for Happy Days and it didn't sell. But they put it right on a Love American side. That was the first time those characters appeared? Yeah, New Neighborhood. Loving the New Neighbors or something they called it. And that was the beginning of Happy Days? That was my first pilot. And then they, you know With how, the same characters? Pretty much. No Fonzie. It yeah. was Richie and Potsy and uh, Howard and... Ma and, was, and the original had... Ron Howard and Marion Ross. Huh. And there was that whole story. My one of my best friends from Korea, from yeah. the Vauxhall business, was a casting director for George Lucas uh -huh. on American Graffiti. Yeah. And he said, we're doing 50s. You got an old 50s pilot you did last year? I said, yeah. And I sent it to him. That's where they hired Ron Howard for American Graffiti. No kidding. Was out of that. And then out of I, the thing you wrote for Love American Style. Yeah. And out of that, American Graffiti became a smash. Grease on Broadway became a smash. And the TV people said, don't we have that? <laughs> <laughs> and somebody says, we have that. Who did that? Tell them to do it again. And by then, Belson, my partner, was going into movies. So uh -huh. we kind of broke up. But uh -huh. uh, I asked him, you want to come on? I got this new show. And I got a new character, and he now tells me, Gary said there's something funzy, fonzy, something crazy, yeah, want to yeah. write a nice family. I don't want to, I like edgy, I like this. Yeah. So he never came with me. Does but, he regret that? Uh, he has unfortunately passed away. He regrets it a little financially. Yeah. He, he was not so. Did he write some good movies? He wrote for Spielberg, a lot of punch-ups. Oh, yeah? He was oh, okay. Really, he was probably the funniest. Funniest person I ever met was my mother. Funniest yeah. guy I ever met was Jerry Belson. So, okay, so now that's amazing to me because I vaguely remember Love American Style from when I was a kid. I was about nine or ten. But I remember it was a little racy and it was always different and every funny guy on television showed up there. Yeah, I wrote some special... Uh, I, I wrote some episodes of yeah. it later. I wrote... Uh, I was fascinated by the fact that a tuba, I like music, and yeah. you know, tuba was used in Dixieland, which I played. So I, I said, how about I trap two people in a tuba? So I literally got a tuba <laughs> and made my wife get in them <laughs> under the tuba. And obviously we didn't fit. Right. So we had to make a special tuba, and I did love in the tuba. And that, that was Frankie Avalon and uh, I forget <laughs> the girl. They were it was stuck. a sketch, basically. Yes, but that was Love America. Sure, sketch. all sketches. All yeah. sketches and interstitial material they used to call it Phil I wrote a lot of those yeah I, I remember it was funny because yeah. you get to see like Artie Johnson everybody, you know, Larry Stork, everybody was on it yeah wow alright so then Happy Day starts as if you're saying that the nostalgia craze was upon us yeah and and how did you uh, how did you bring that all together how did you cast that what, did you see Winkler and Lords of Flatbush, or how did that work or was that later that might have been later right no, no first Ron Howard did it you know I 
people keep saying you create these things. I have never created television. I create, and then it evolves. Sure. And uh, if you stop it from evolving, you go off the air. Yeah. But we started with, I thought the show, show was about Potsy and Richie, Ron yeah. Howard and Anson Williams. But then uh, Michael Eisner had seen American Graffiti, and then he was an agent at the time. He was the head of Paramount. Oh no, Michael Eisner, right, the head yeah. of Disney later. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's. We went together yeah. <laughs> at Disney, but he uh, said, "I, I, it shouldn't be about this nice family. It should be about a gang." And I said, "I'm not sure." He said, "Well, somewhere get a gang in." And I said, "We have no money for a gang. <laughs> How about I get one guy who'll represent the gang?" Yeah. So we got. Uh, uh, for the second time we did the pilot, I added uh, Fonzie. Winkler, yeah. yeah. Where'd you see him? I, I didn't. He came into <laughs> audition. I wanted the tall Italian guy from the streets yeah. of the Bronx, and they sent me a very short Jewish guy from the streets <laughs> of Long Island. <laughs> but lo and behold, Henry Winkler was such a good actor that Sweet guy. put on the jacket, yeah. and there was Fonzie before my eyes in my office. I saw it, I said, whoop. That's him. Yeah. That's how I am. And uh, he became one of the better human beings I ever met in yeah. show business, Henry. Yeah, I talked to him in here. He's a sweet yeah. man. Very sweet Very man. Good guy. Yeah. And, and and that Fonzie character, I mean, I was a kid, so what? So uh, Happy Days runs, what, 70, 40, 80, 10 years. <laughs> and that's, well, I'm 11 through whatever, 21, but... But I remember when I was a kid, you know, you're walking around going, hey, yeah, yeah. hitting things, you know. It was something yeah, there else. there were guys in my neighborhood who never spoke much, but one day they'd hug you, the next day they hit you in the head. So uh, those silent types worked well for me, and uh, I, I think eventually that Henry Winkler became such a star that we shifted the whole uh, happy days to him because... I always wanted Richie to have an older brother. Yeah. And I had two of them. Yeah. And they we, we, they were gone. People yeah. still ask, whatever happened to Chuck? Yeah, yeah. I said, Chuck Bradley. <laughs> oh, you tried it a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, right, That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I remember he was like a college kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were trying, didn't work. Now, you know, over the years, you know, it was on TV longer than most sitcoms yeah. ever were. Longer than most marriages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they, and also we get the uh, you get the term jumping the shark from Happy yes, Days. That's right. Now, we, when you're in that position where you got a good thing going, and you know it changed the culture, it changed people's lives. People loved the thing. What was the decision process? How does that work? How does it stay on the air so long? They just kept kept making money. Yeah, well, it kept playing, yeah. and uh, you know, it partially changed the industry in that usually people bid on reruns, mm -hmm. you know, and they said, how much? And there was this whole sale, and right. they'd say, if you buy this show, you get this show. Right. And with Happy Days, a very smart man uh, at Paramount said, bid on it. There's no price on Happy Days. Bid on it. Right. And everybody worried about, oh, what if the other station gets it? The so syndicators. Syndicators. Yeah, yeah. WPIX in New York. Right, and right. And, and the price went up, and now everybody does that. Right. But that was the first one to do it. So, the, so, they, the, so they left it on. Right. The incentive was to, if it, if it had such a big syndication market, yeah. let's just keep yeah. making them. Yeah. And then they understood, Fred Silverman came in and understood that... Uh, you wanted to get uh, an hour. So he said to me, create something behind Happy Days, 
quick. So you could partner it with something. Yeah, and, uh, and that's where Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley. And now, what was your relationship with your sister at this time? Was she acting? Was she? Uh, you she know? was a stunt lady, and my mother. You know, it's always family. Penny Marshall was a stunt lady. Yes, <laughs> on Savage Seven, uh-huh. she got knocked <laughs> off a bike. And you were out. They, you were both out here, though. And you, yes, you she saw had her. Come here. Yeah. No, my mother called and said, "Get your sister a job. She's dating morons." <laughs> I remember clear as a bill. <laughs> she said it so clear, and that's when she went on Odd Couple as uh-huh. a secretary. Right, right. Jack Klugman, Tony Reynolds taught her a lot about acting, and then she was a writer when we did Laverne Shirley and. We made a show. They were on uh, Happy Days. Uh-huh. You know, it's not so hard to find people when they're on one show. Fred Silverman was the king of spin-offs. And he'd always say, your actors are fine. Find out who's guesting that's interesting. Right. And then make a show. He started all oh, that. Oh, that was him? Really, Fred Silverman? Because yeah, that doesn't happen too much anymore. Well, not the well. Not the same did. way. Not the same way. Right, you could, where they could coexist. Yeah. You know, like you could have both shows on. Very well. Very, they take people of Seinfeld have their own. Sure, shows, sure, but, but but not with the same not, character. No, no, not yeah. That way. And yet, Lenny and Squiggy, I just remembered. Michael McKean's a genius. Yes. Oh, he's giant now. Yeah, yeah. And he, he, we tried to pilot for them. It didn't work. But we got Robin Williams off Happy Days too. And now, yeah. So you got your sister doing Laverne Shirley, which come, becomes a big hit. Her and yeah. C- Cindy Williams, right? That was her yes, name? Yes. And that she was in American Graffiti. She was great in American yes, Graffiti, right? Yes, great in American Yeah. And that went on for years. So you have both of these things running yes, together. So Cindy was in the conversation, was a wanted to be a real actress and just did- Oh, Coppola's movie with a, Hackman? Yeah. Yeah. She did a favor, I'll do Levine. It won't sell. A yeah, yeah, best. yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> there you go. And, and Mork, <laughs> Mork who, who came up with, uh, how'd you, you come in touch with Robin? Well, this is a story I've told, but that's okay. I, I have three kids, and two girls and a boy. And my son wasn't watching Happy Days. He didn't yeah. watch it. Yeah, he's the youngest. And I said, "Why won't you watch Happy Days?" He says, "There's no space people," because <laughs> he loves Star you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, "But uh, it's the fifties, and the kids are smart." He was seven. Yeah, and he said he could dream. It could yeah. be a dream. And I went to the writers. I said. Fonzie doesn't have any new adversaries. Uh-huh. Let's get an alien. You should have seen the staring at me. Oh, yeah? What is he doing? But we created uh, Mork from Mork uh-huh. and uh, put him on the show. And uh, Was we, that not, you can't, did Robin come in on an audition? No, we were hiring people like John Biner and yeah. some wonderful comedians. Yeah. And nobody wanted to do it. Yeah. And my sister Ronnie, I work with family a yeah. lot, uh, was my casting person, uh-huh. said, there's a kid. I talked to an agent, Alan Swyman, something. Yeah. He said, there's a new kid. And I literally said, what has he done? Uh-huh. And she said, he stands on the street corner and he makes noises and imitations and and. He passes the hat. I said, that's the credit. He has to be on the number one show. <laughs> she said, yeah. He, he has a, a very full hat. Yeah. He's a street performer <laughs> yes, at the time? Yes, he was. Uh-huh. And he came in. I think he did one job for George Slaughter somewhere. Uh-huh. But nobody knew where. And he came in and he literally did the audition standing on his head and uh, never missed a line, and we put him in Happy Day. We were so desperate, we start Monday to Friday, we didn't have an 
activate. You didn't Wednesday. have your alien. Didn't have an alien. Yeah. I said, and luckily some people are nicer than others, and Ron Howard and Henry Winkler. I said, this guy is coming in as the alien. He's a little green. Yeah. <laughs> so help him. And they did, and he did the, <coughs> did the episode as the alien. Yeah. And at the end, I I, I announced Fonzie, I announced Ron Howard, I announced, and they stood up for Robin. No kidding. It was a day play. In the, in the live audience. Live audience. They 300 people just stood up and no said, kidding. who is that guy? Uh-huh. So I said, maybe he's something. <laughs> but Maybe but, he's something. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my cameraman said sure. one day, you know those two girls you played from the other side of the tracks? Uh-huh. That's a two shot. Yeah. That would be good. Make that show. So I listen, but I must say, when when we, again, what I just said, when the network hated all their pilots, uh-huh. the last two days, Eisner came in and said, what do you got? They're desperate. Yeah. Say anything. Yeah. And I, of course, called the network, and I said, did you see the episode with Robin Williams? They said, no. Yeah. <laughs> but again, there's always hope. One voice, a girl, I heard her say, her name was Marcy Carsey. Uh-huh. She was the lowest of the low. Uh-huh. She said, I saw it. He was very good. Uh-huh. And she said, he could be. So I said, yes, more for more. Yeah. Well, where is it? I said, and I'm crazy. So I, I think when they say, where is it? I say, where can I eat? Where can I get a bed? I'll be cold. Yeah. And so I said, I have a niece in Boulder. I said to my Boulder, Colorado, a totally unique place, perfect. And they said, what's the name of it? I, I said, it's called The Moore Chronicles about aliens. Yeah. And then there was this silence. And I heard, nobody knows what chronicles means. Yeah, yeah. I said, there's us on the phone. How many of you don't know what chronicle means? <laughs> well, yeah. you can't name it that. And Marcy Smart said, no, they want to name pets. It's like Laverne and Shirley yeah, and yeah, yeah. pets. And Mork and Mindy, I said. I made up a name. I think I said Mork and Melissa. They didn't like it. Yeah, that. yeah. But that's how the show was. Marcy Carsey went on to be Carsey Warner? Yes. Yeah. She was smart as a whip. That uh-huh. And her, Big production company. Yes. And, and again, random life circles. Her husband, John Carsey, was one of the associate producers on the Jack Parr show. No kidding. That's how you do it. the show business. It yes. was a smaller business. It's a, <laughs> right? For me, it's all circles. Yeah, yeah. And that show was amazing, and Robin became a huge star. Oh, he became a star. Sweet guy. Oh, sweet as heck. He was a lovely guy and uh, had some demons. And sure. I always said, I, you know, I had... How I kept my shows together, I had softball teams, traveling softball teams, yeah. traveled to big stadiums yeah. and this and that. But Robin uh, didn't want to play softball so much. He didn't. He mostly just liked work, working. But he was the the best I ever worked with as far as comedy genius. No right. question. Yeah, and he could do anything. Pretty yeah. much. He could make <laughs> you laugh any time of day, night, in any way. I'm surprised you didn't do any movies with him. No, we were close and we wanted to do, but he did a wonderful movie with my sister Penny called Awakenings. Yeah. I thought you'd have won some prizes because that was a wonderful movie. Did you give Penny her first directing job, I imagine? The f- I made a director on Laverne Shirley. Yeah. And she directed and did pretty good. Yeah. And then, 
You want to hear the feminine side of the world? Yeah. Yes, she went to the studios and said, I'd like to direct. And they actually said to her, we don't like women directors. We don't think they, they have a mindset and they won't come up with ideas that would reach a mass audience. Wow. They said that. Penny's not really a feminist, but said, I'll show them. <laughs> and she was the first woman director ever to break the $100 million benchmark. She made two pictures that made over $100 million. Big, Big and League of Their Own. Yeah. And there was the first woman director ever to do that. Others have, but Penny was the first, so I'm quite proud of her. Yeah, it's great. That's amazing. And 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 you started making your own movies... Uh, you know, I mean, I obviously did a lot more television, and you're still involved with television. But the movie started when, like later, right? Yeah, late eighties. I, uh, I, I f said I'll try theater. Here's a trivia. Yeah. What was the the show at the Winter Garden, New York, before Cats? Oh, I should know. I'll tell you. It was called The Roast. I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The roast lasted three nights. <laughs> Cats ran 18 years. Aren't you glad you had me as a guest? <laughs> three nights against 18 years. Is that what made you realize maybe plays aren't my thing? <laughs> well, no, I, I, no it, it truly was not the greatest play. But again, yeah. I always have these stories where out of this comes that. It was in Boston. They got terrible reviews in Boston. But this head usher loved it. Yeah. He said, this is funny. Yes, it wasn't a good play. What was it about? It was a, about a comedian being roasted and by, by a who, guy who was like his son, but yeah. he turned on him and yeah. it was a whole, it had some drama, but there was a 20 minute hunk that was really funny. Yeah. But the rest wasn't good. Anyway, we died, it was over. But the usher, I always remembered him. His name was Jason Alexander. <laughs> I always have these stories. They're all true. Yeah. Years later, I'm trying to find somebody for a pretty woman. Mm -hmm. And they, I said, what is that kid? He like, he's like, I don't know if he's funny, but he likes humor. Yeah. Now, he's a song and dance man. He's no, <laughs> no, let me audition him. And I auditioned him. I wasn't there on tape with Richard Gere. And I said, He's wonderful. I said, what's wonderful? I said, he makes Richard Gere funny. <laughs> Perfect together. And that's what we use. And that's so what happened with Adam, Pretty Woman? Yeah, that's yeah. how why he yeah, was yeah. hired for Pretty Woman. That's you know, an usher. The one guy that liked your play. <laughs> yes. Well, we, Jerry Belson said, well, he has a good sense of humor. Again. He was going to... Uh, I think Boston College uh -huh. at the time. Very funny. He's a very funny uh, guy. Yeah, he's the greatest. But the but the other movies, you know that like Flamingo Kid was a huge movie. Great yeah, movie. Yeah, my first one was Young Doctors in Love, and I smoked and ate candy bars, and I was a mess. Really? But, uh, I was going to quit, and my quit what? Directing. I said this is not for me. This yeah. directing business. Why? I said it's too exhausting. Right. It's craziness. Yeah. And then my sister actually said, well, maybe this was a bad experience. Yeah, yeah. You'll see. And uh, and then I got Flamingo Kid that nobody wanted to make. They thought it was about poker. I thought it was about fathers and sons, yeah. which I know about. And that became a hit, and that was fun making. And that was Matt Dillon, right? Yeah, Matt Dillon. He was, he was, he's great. He's a great movie guy. He is good. But again, yeah. it's always cockeyed. I'm telling you, 
I had Matthew Broderick to play the lead in Flamingo Kid two weeks before he had to leave and do something else. No kidding. So Matt Dillon comes in after uh, doing that Outsiders yeah. with Coppola or something. And he's Rumblefish, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, Hi, I'm Matt Dillon. I yeah. said, Hi. He said, You know, I don't do comedy. <laughs> good. I'm glad we hired you for the lead, boy. <laughs> what a good thing. And then I said, I'll find what's funny. And we found he yeah. became very good. Yeah, and now he's very funny. I mean, he did some pretty oh, good yeah, comedy. He yeah, he did uh, that, uh, Mary, something about Mary, yeah, right? Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. great. No, I wrote him. I said, how yeah. funny he was yeah, yeah. and the whole thing. But Richard Krenner was the guy who held that picture together. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, he passed away, right? Yeah. He's, he, he was, was great. great. And my biggest asset in my first movie, which was not a hit, was Hector Alexander. When He's in every movie you do. 18 out of 18. You love that guy. I do. We come from the streets of New York. We play basketball together. Now yeah. we play softball I know. Together. I saw him in Mother's Day. The guy doesn't look like he ages. <laughs> no. <laughs> we played ball yesterday. Yeah? We ha we play Thursdays. He's always there. Yes, he's, he's always, always there. There he is. Yes, he's always there. At the fountain in Mother's Day. He, yeah. he, they say he has... So many characters he does. He <laughs> do so many characters. He has more toupees than anybody I know. <laughs> we go to his house, we pick a toupee, he says, uh -huh. this is what you are. Mother's Day, which is very funny, and is uh, he's bald. Yeah, yeah. He let it. He just let it go. He yeah, let he it said, happen. He said, "You got too many stars in this picture. You don't want to wait for me in hair and makeup. I'll be bald <laughs> because the three girls are going to be terrific." He wore a hat though. Yeah, yeah. And you got Kate, Yeah, you got Kate, Kate Hudson and Julia Roberts. And uh, I had never worked with Jennifer the other, Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. Oh, she's so good. Really good. She just was terrific. She's so prepared and can do anything. She and, can. And really is genuine. People say this, that, but she is a genuine person. Uh -huh. You think it's really you're watching a yeah, friend. I feel like that. Yeah, she yeah. has that quality. Just and then, amazing. Yeah, and this is like your, what, your 15th movie, whatever? How many? 18 out 18. of 18. Ask Hector, 18 out of 18. That's right. <laughs> but you, and some of them, were, it's like, I got a question, because you know, <laughs> You do, you know, Flamingo Kid, Beaches, Pretty Woman, Frankie and Johnny was a pretty big movie, right? The yeah, the uh, Princess Diaries was a big movie. Yeah. But you do, you, like we started with the, with you sort of admitting that, you know, sometimes they don't go. They don't. No, my worst in television was me and the chimp. Yeah. You hear the applause, listen. And, <laughs> and, 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 uh, Movies, I had a few failures. And but how do you? What what? In, in <laughs> retrospect, you know, in terms of you know your logic around making them, and I, I imagine that you know you're enough of a guy that you you've got a sort of final cut with most things, right? It's harder now, but I did. That yeah. For a long so time. how do you? What do you? What do you think happens when something doesn't work? Well, I think some. It all depends on what you call work. Right. Two of my best pictures didn't make a lot of money, which was nothing in common with Jackie Gleason. Oh, that's right, and, and Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. It was a terrific picture. I thought it came out at the wrong time or something. It didn't make money, but it's still very good. That was I love nice. that movie. That was a salute to fathers. So yeah, yeah, and it was, a, it was a painful and beautiful yeah. movie, and yeah. Jackie was great. That was one of his Jackie. last films, right? It was his last film. Oh, last my film. God, that was a good movie. That was how we got him to do it. Yeah. I, Tom and I prepared how we should be in the movie. We had all the speeches. Yeah. And we went and Ray Stark, this producer, said, Jackie, you're not feeling well. If 
you don't do another movie and you go, your last picture will be Smokey and the Bandit Part 2. <laughs> Jackie said, give me the fucking pen. <laughs> and he signed and he did nothing. And he was ill during the show, shooting? A little bit. Yeah. Right? But uh, he soon died after that. Yeah. But he was a wonderful man, Jackie. But that, was, that got a very good critical reaction? Very good critical. And another picture I did about a mentally challenged child, which I always wanted to do, was called The Other Sister. Yeah. Also great critical reaction. Didn't make money. Right. And then Pretty Woman made money in this. And, but I would say the artist I did was a picture with, you mentioned before, Exit to Eden. Yeah. I had Dan Aykroyd, Rosie O'Donnell. Yes. Yeah. I wanted Sharon Stone and Don Johnson. Look at this <laughs> casting worked out <laughs> yeah, for me. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I thought, I truly believed that I love love stories. Yeah. And I thought there could be a love story in every situation. Uh -huh. And I did delve into the world of S&M and said, can there be love with all that uh -huh. stuff? And... Uh, I based it on a book of a wonderful writer named Anne Rice, who's yeah. the queen of vampires. Vampires, yeah. And she had uh, some tragedy in her life and uh, used to write erotica uh -huh, to get uh -huh, away. And uh -huh. I took her book and we did it, but didn't work out. The company that was doing it wasn't a studio. didn't think uh, it would be good, and they made it a comedy. And yeah. really wasn't a comedy. So that's how things go wrong. Right. I think mostly what goes wrong with everybody's picture is when you and the money people are not making the same film. Right. And that right. happens a lot. And then there's there's arguments about it. Yeah, and, and then... You need to go... You, you compromise. You compromise, yeah. and sometimes uh, money wins, sometimes right. you win, but... Right. It's never good. But I you, have avoided it a lot of times, and... Uh, Sometimes I haven't. Yeah, and and you also like you, outside of making all these movies, you, you you like to show up in things. You like to act. My acting. Well, I tell you, I tell you, man, the scene in you know, like I didn't know who, who you were when I saw Lost in America. I don't know who you were then. I wasn't in show business. <laughs> it's one of the best scenes in the world. Well, thank you. And Albert much. Brooks and you, it was just yeah, that was hilarious. And now, how how did he cast you in that? He, he Rob. Reiner and my sister Penny were married right, for sure. a brief time. Yeah. And they had the best parties in Hollywood. Yeah. And I would go to them, and Albert, all the funny people would be there. Yeah. And Albert said to me once, I need you. He says, you talk like a gangster. He says, I need somebody nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows you. Yeah. I said, no, yeah, no yeah, particularly. Yeah. Yeah. And so he cast me as the casino owner, and they thought I was the casino owner. And he directed me, and you know, we did like 17 takes. And he didn't write it all, I must say. Again, this random stuff, that picture... Albert wrote with Jerry Belson's sister. No kidding. No kidding. Monica Johnson is Jerry Belson's kid sister. It all comes around. It does come around. But we had a good time. He, That's I, the, I enjoyed the, that. The, the, the line where you go, we're finished talking. I watch it once funny. Around. Do you? Yeah. How's it hold uh, up? Pretty good, pretty right? Pretty good. Makes me laugh. Yeah. Santa Claus. That's what Monica yeah, Johnson right, right, wrote. Yeah. Santa Claus. <laughs> It was anyway, funny. we had Albert Brooks is I got another great genius. And you, you, oh, he is, yeah. And you, did, well, you did a lot of acting, and people see. I bet you that's where a lot of the funny people started to, you know, to. That was your big break as an actor as and an the act. funny stuff, right? Yeah, well, I I do like it, and I, I it sounds corny, but I like to act 
and I try to act just before I direct because I remember then when an actor goes through. Right, right. And where they're vulnerable and where they're not. And I must say, I spend as much time before action, before and after cut as I do between action yeah, and yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah. Because you want to know what's going on, and sure. I know how I felt. And you did, uh, well, yeah, I mean, well, we can't go through everything, but you did work with my friend Louis. On, you did Louis, two. oh, he was great. Yeah, you, you did know too. how stupid I am. I can't always keep up. And this guy called me and he said, Hello, Louis C.K. I said, Hi. He says, You play bosses. I said, Yeah. I have a suit and a tie. Yeah. <laughs> he says, So I want you to be on my show. I asked my son, yeah. who shoots all my second unit, he shoots all the yeah. stuff. I said, who is Louis C.K.? Yeah. And my son, he's the greatest, yeah, he's yeah. the greatest. And I went, I met him, and I really liked him. We had a great time. Yeah. He's quite funny. And the new movie's out? The new movie... Mother's I, Day. Mother's Day. All right. Well, it was great talking to you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I liked sitting, chatting. I yeah. could tell stories You got minute. another one? You got another one that we didn't that you like to tell that you didn't tell. I was trying to say because I'm a little. I, you do dirty jokes. I sure. can't tell it. You can do it. Dirty. Go ahead. I just Robin Williams uh -huh. love to do dirty stuff. Yeah, which we had to cut out, but yeah. he did it. But yeah. what he loved to do is tell riddles uh -huh. to Pam Darber, and it would be dirty, and she would blush. You know, yeah, Pam yeah. Darber was yeah, a yeah, yeah. Sure. One day the writers found out what joke he was going to say, uh -huh. and they told her the punchline. So he goes out in the middle of the scene. He says, what happens when you cross a donkey with an onion? And the guys told, Pam, and Pam said, you get a piece of ass that'll make your eyes water. <laughs> and that's the only time I saw Robin speechless. He Looked around, stunned. What? <laughs> so that was one of my favorite Robin stories. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing all this stuff. And it was great to see you again. Good, uh, good to see you. I forgot. It's now right. I'll remember yeah, this interview. You'll remember this one. I will. Thank you, Gary. Thank you Take so much. Take care. That was fun. You know, most people get sweeter as they go, yeah, as they get older. Yeah, you know, a lot of people like I'm seeing that in my own life. But uh, what a sweet guy, funny guy, good stories. He, he, it's, he has that great accent, great talking to him. Go to wtfpod.com for all the uh, WTF Pod needs. Go to wtfpod.com/tour for uh, the Trippany link for my shows in May and June at the Trippany House in Los Angeles at the uh, Steve Allen Theater. And uh, anything else you want, might want. Check out the new site. Very exciting. Very exciting. The site that Squarespace made us. Ali Wong on Thursday. Her new special is fucking awesome. All right? Boomer lives!